This is KMTT. And today the Shur in Pashat HaShavua, which will be given this year, Emirz Hashem, Tavshin Ayin Aleph, by Harav Alex Israel. Shalom, this is Alex Israel from Alon Shvut, and I'm very excited to be inaugurating this year's Parashat Shavua series. Um, this week we'll be discussing Parashat Noach. And of course this is a, a amazingly dramatic Parsha with the devastation of the world and its disintegration through the flood um, and its survival of sorts um, through the personality of Noach Ish Sadiq Tamim Hayab Adorotav um, who acts as the, uh, uh, the person who is going to bring the world and continue it uh, for the future. It all goes through him. And it is through Noach that we experience the rebirth, uh, the renewal of the world, uh, the, the existence of a, of a new world afterwards, which is, is the world we live in. Um, we're not going to discuss the drama of the flood, um, and I'm actually going to turn our attention uh, this week to the final story about Noach, a very perplexing and difficult story about Noach and his uh, drunkenness. When Noach gets drunk, um, and for those of you who don't know the story or don't remember it so well, I'll read some of the Psukim um, so that we can familiarize ourselves. Uh, so we have the list of the sons of Noach when they come out of the Teva. These are the uh, progenitors of the entire world as we know it. And now the story begins, Vayachel Noach ish ha'adama, Vayita karem. Noach, the man of the earth, man of the soil, plants a vineyard. Vayishmin ha'yayin, Vayishkar. He drinks the wine, he gets drunk. Vayitgal betoch ahalo. And he is revealed, um, apparently naked, in his tent. Vayar cham avikanan, cham, the father of Kanaan saw at Ervat Aviv his father's nakedness and he goes outside and tells his two brothers this is Cham who sees Noach and his brothers his brothers take some sort of uh, sheet or blanket they drape them over their over their shoulders they walk backwards they cover their father's nakedness. It says very explicitly that uh, Shem and Yafet did not see their father's nakedness. And when Noach wakes up, Noach sobers up, he wakes up, he sees what he's, or he knows what his youngest son did, and he curses, not Cham, but Kana'an. He curses Canaan, Ham's son, and says, Eved Abadim Yel Echav, he will be a slave to the brothers, um, and praises both Shame and Yefet, the good sons. And the next event, this is the last thing that happens in Noach's life. After this, um, Noach dies. Uh, one word about why it is that Canaan gets uh, punished. Canaan, uh, Ham's son, Ham did the act. Um, however, his son becomes the slave. It would seem like this is 
primarily an act of uh, abandonment of Kibbud Av um, in the way that uh, Cham mocks his father, uh, ignores the special status of a parent, and uh, it would appear that Canaan becoming a servant uh, means that as a servant he will not be able to serve his own father. In other words, Cham, if you ignore your father, you will not have a son to look after you in your old age. You will not have a son to help you because he will be a slave to somebody else. He will be serving somebody else. You abrogated the special relationship with your father. You will not have a son. Uh, hence, Canaan um, becomes the slave, but it is in some way a punishment to Cham, or, or so it would seem. Now, um, this story is certainly a curious one. Um, why is this a valuable story uh, in the in the narrative of, of Noah, what does it tell us? Was uh, Noah's drunkenness uh, deliberate or was it accidental? And um, why does uh, Noah uh, get so upset? I mean, after all, what seems to happen? His son sees him naked and tells his brothers. It was uh, did anything serious happen here? Um, and what exactly can we learn from this episode? So we're going to try and examine it um, in the perspective of three different uh, theories, uh, three theories that seem to emerge from the Psukim themselves and uh, from Divrei Chazal. And with each we will see certain parallels and try and explain them. Let's uh, outline the three uh, theories that I'd like to, to develop. And of course we're going to have to examine the topic both from the perspective of Noah himself and from the perspective of Cham and Cham's uh, actions. Theory number one in explaining what happened in this uh, in this particular episode is that uh, all that happened was that Cham actually saw, he viewed the naked Noach lolling about in his tent in, in a drunken state and came to tell his brothers, look, hey, dad is naked in the tent. And uh, it was nothing more than, than viewing Noach. And then we wonder why Noach is naked in the tent, etc., etc. Um... That's theory number one in terms of what happened. Um, however, Chazal, um, Rashi quotes this, um, say something far more sinister. Rashi brings us uh, two further options. Um, and here in his comment he says the following, Two very harsh options um, that... Cham either, option number one, castrated Noach, or option number two, he engaged in a, a sexual act with Noach himself. And one wonders why, uh, what exactly is the basis of all of this? Um, now, uh, of course, um, according to the Pshat and the way it would seem, all Cham did was to see his father. And yet, if we recall the term for um, Incest or inappropriate sexual violation in the Torah, it is giloy arayot, uh, revealing nakedness. And I'd say even more than that, if you look, for example, in Vayikra Perek Chaf, which outlines all of the different sexual offenses that can take place, I'll read you one particular pasuk, pasuk Yudzayin, Ve'ish ashe yikach et achoto bataviv o batimo, v'ra'a et ervata, and he sees her nakedness, v'hitire et ervato, and she sees his nakedness. The sense of seeing a nakedness is actually considered to be uh, the sexual act itself. Something far more severe than just vision. Um, 
in this story, I think it is the uh, pasuk in particular where it says that Vayiketz Noach me Noach woke up Vayeda et Asher Asalo He knew what his son did to him. Um, it is difficult to say that vision is doing. And uh, Chazal come along and suggest that what was actually happening here is something far more severe than just uh, looking, but actually in an, a, a sexual act of some sort took place. And therefore we have really three options that we're going to examine. Um, did Ham just look at Noach? Or did he um, engage in some sort of sexual act with Noach? Or the option even more strange of castration of Noach, and we will come to that towards the end. So let's go in order. If Canaan looked at, at, at Noach, I would say that the real responsibility uh, lies on Noach. Uh, what is Noach doing, getting drunk uh, in his tent? Uh, if this happened by accident, um, then fine. However, it, it wouldn't see that way. This is the first thing that takes place immediately after Noach has emerged, Noach and his family emerge from the Teva. And um, it very deliberately says, Vayachel Noach Ishadamal, Vayachel, either from the word Lechalel, to profane himself, or Lehatchil, the word Vayachel appears in many critical moments throughout the early chapters of Sefer uh, Breshit. It's a very, very interesting key word. It appears at the end of uh, uh, chapter 4 to do with uh, Enosh. It appears um, in the story of Nimrod. It appears in the story of Migdal Bavel, and also here. And there's always a debate about whether it has negative connotations or simply connotations of the beginning. However, Vayachel Noach Isha Adama, Noach, who is called in Isha Adama, Vayita Karem, he plants a vineyard. Um, he's deliberately planting a vineyard. He knows what he's planting. This seems to be the first, um, the first agricultural project he embarks on. Why particularly a vineyard? Um, why does he choose this? Is he looking to get drunk? Because the next is uh, Lord is, uh, Noach has been around for a long time and he clearly uh, knows the effects of wine. Uh, why is he planting a vineyard? What's it all about? I'd like to uh, try and discuss this possibly uh, in regard to a fascinating parallel between this parsha and the parsha of Gan Eden. And you will say, you know, what could possibly be the connection between this chapter and Gan Eden? But I'm going to try and, uh, and develop this uh, relationship in, in the next few minutes. Um, first of all, maybe we should uh, look at the bare bones of the story and then I'll try and back it up even more. Um, here we have a situation whereby we have somebody who is uh, naked in a vineyard, in a garden. Um, we have the notion, just like God plants a garden in Eden, it says in Bereshit uh, Perak Bet, um, we read that Hashem plants the garden uh, of Eden. Vayita Hashem Elokim Gan Be'eden Mikedem. Here we have Vayita Karem, the planting of a vineyard. Somebody is naked um, in a state of no knowledge. Uh, only in the morning when he wakes up from his wine is it uh, he knows what his son did he, just like in the Garden of Eden is before the state of knowledge a man before the Garden of Eden has not yet eaten from the tree of knowledge here it would seem that he eats from some sort of forbidden fruit as well and interestingly enough 
um, Noach here is referred to as Ish Adama. Um, Ish Adama. Adama reflecting Adam. Um, one further thing is the end of the story. Just like in the Garden of Eden ends with a curse. A curse to the Nachash, a curse to man, a curse to woman. Here also, what do we see? Each person is addressed in kind and uh, Canaan is actually cursed. So we have interesting elements. Vayita, Ish Adama. We have the lack of knowledge. Um, we have an altered state of mind. Um, we have the uh, curse which is issued at the end of the story. Maybe it's not surprising then that Chazal suggests that in fact it was the Gefen which was the fruit, the, the, the grapes were actually the fruit that were eaten in the Garden of Eden. They were the forbidden fruit. And uh, Perkei de Rabeleza even goes so far as to say that the actual vine, vine saplings which Noah brought with him um, into the ark and took with him in the Teva and planted afterwards were actually saplings that he had taken in some way from, which had grown from Gun Eden. In other words, this really is a derivative of the Gun Eden story. And, and how, how, why would this parallel Gun Eden? What exactly is the parallel of Gun Eden here? Um, in order to uh, flesh this parallel to Gun Eden, I'd like to take it a little bit further and a little bit deeper. You see, the story of Noah is the story of the destruction of the world. But as much as it is the story of the destruction of the world, it is also a story about the world's recreation. Many of people have um, commented that when the when the world is covered by the floodwaters and it is totally submerged, it actually appears in a, a manner similar to the existence of the world before creation. We read at the beginning of Bereshit, uh, there was darkness on the face of the deep and the spirit of God hovers over the face of the water at the beginning of Bereshit at the beginning of creation chapter everything is dark and it would appear that is so, the same case and everything uh, it, with, with Noah and, and, and the world is covered in water and in fact the subsidence of the water in the story of Noah that is um, depicted in Perakhet almost mirrors the different stages of creation. Uh, at a certain point, after 150 days, and at this point, by Noach, God appears on the scene, God makes his spirit pass over the water and they start subsiding. Very, very reminiscent of the Ruach Elohim, which is Merachet Al-Panei at the beginning of creation. What happens next is, almost in a parallel to day two, uh, you can look it up in Parachet, Pasuk Bet, On day two of creation, God divides the waters, so that there's water above and water below. Here, as God subsides the flood waters, He stops up the windows of the heaven, and also the springs and wells down below dividing the waters so water remains above and below but not in the middle the third stage of the uncovering the waters mirrors the third day of creation where um, we, we read that um, the exposure of the dry land um, and of course the sending out of the just like in 
in the creation chapter, birds are created first and then um, the animals and man likewise here. First, birds are sent out, be it the raven or the dove, and only afterwards uh, animals and man emerge from the teva. And therefore we shouldn't be surprised where we actually see a phenomenal parallel to the first chapter of Breshit, to the creation chapter, where in the beginning of chapter 9 here, very reminiscent of what God says to Adam, to the first man. And uh, likewise, here, um, God expresses the relationship between man and his food, between man and the animals. Uh, just like in Bereshit Perak Aleph, we see that it says, um, Here, Noach is told, What I'm claiming is that in a sense, um, the subsidence of the waters is not only the end of the flood, um, the lowering of the destructive um, flood waters, but actually, in a sense, is a rebirth of the world. Um, we don't so much have uh, the creation of the world in chapter 1 of Bereshit, and then in chapter 6, 7, it's destruction. But if you want, we have creation in chapter 1. We have, uh, maybe let's call it not destruction, but decreation. But certainly, chapter 8 and 9 um, represent a recreation, a renewal of the world. And if the world is reborn, if it is recreated, then what happens immediately after the creation? We find ourselves back in Gan Eden. Um, or maybe I should say it differently. It's not so much that um, we find ourselves back in Gan Eden, but that Noah wants to be in Gan Eden. Noah wants to recreate Gan Eden, and this is why he deliberately plants a vineyard. If God will not plant a garden, Noah will plant the garden. If Noah uh, cannot be in a state of no knowledge, he will generate that state of no knowledge by making himself drunk, losing his consciousness and awareness, and he wants to be in the state. And the question is, is, is why? And I can only suggest uh, uh, that Noach desires, he really would like to be back in a pre-sin world. Um, one can only imagine the, the trauma of the flood, the sense that Noach finds himself in a world um, which is which is dirty, which is sinful, which is filled with with evil, and even though uh, all all of those people who perpetrated those crimes, which existed uh, in that evil generation before the flood, um, one imagines the residual uh, sense of, of filth, the residual sense of crime, of hate, of of uh, of tumah, which um, possibly exists. In, in Noah's mind. If Noah is trying to recreate a gun Aden, he's saying, I need to return to a priestly state, to a to a state of innocence, to a a a state which exists before sin came into being. Of course, this is an illusion. This cannot be. Um, and maybe it's actually interesting that uh, Cham maybe Cham gets the brunt of this, but Cham comes in and he shatters this illusion in Noah's mind. Um, Noah, you cannot be back in a pre-sin world. You cannot go back to Gan Eden. There are angels with a revolving fiery sword protecting the way so that no one can return back to that place. Um, Noah, you only have one option, and that is to face the world, to accept a world which 
has sin in, God already acknowledged the fact that that even though man has an inclination to sin, the symbol of the rainbow, God will not uh, destroy the world even though it is sinful. Noah, you cannot live in a sinless world. You're going to have to live in a world where there are passions and drive and a tendency to evil and yet you are going to have to fight that. It would appear that Noah has suffered so much from the trauma of the flood that he cannot uh, face that. And therefore this becomes the last story uh, about Noah. But for us it remains a story which um, means that we cannot live in this fantasy world. We cannot pretend that our world is not a world of struggle. We cannot try and build for ourselves um, hideaway gardens which uh, give us the illusory state which is is always going to be illusory that um, that we exist in a world without sin that is uh, not the world that we live in in a post-flood generation um, we actually have to sober up and we have to go and uh, build our world and do the best we can in order to create morality um, so all of this is is this is, is what I'd like to suggest in terms of the possibility of uh, Noah and his uh, and Ham, uh, viewing him and seeing him uh, nothing more sinister happening in that scene however um, that was only our first theory uh, we said there are two other theories one is that uh, uh, Ham engaged in a sexual act with Noah and even uh, more extreme maybe he castrated Noah how are we going to uh, examine these two possibilities. So let's uh, take the first one. The, as we said, Giloi Arayot, the revealing of nakedness, is frequently a euphemism uh, for sexual acts. And in this case, uh, Ham engaged in a sexual act with Noah. What, what does that mean? Why would we be saying it? How, where can we place this and where can we put this um, in the framework of Sefer Bereshit? Um, so, well, who's Ham? And uh, maybe more than that. Who are his descendants? Well, we know from this story that uh, Ham's son is Canaan, and Canaan already starts uh, beginning to uh, ring a bell in our mind. And let me maybe uh, try and elucidate this by um, uh, reading a little more of the uh, descendants of Ham, as we read in the very next chapter, Perak Yud, Pasuk uh, Vav, Uvnei Ham Kush Umitzraim Uput Ukanaan. In other words, uh, Ham's children are Kush, Mitzrayim, Put, and Canaan. Um, two of these we know very well, Mitzrayim and Kana'an. Um, the, our first meeting point with Mitzrayim, uh, after this story, to the best of my understanding, is a story where Abraham and Sarai go down to Egypt. And of course, what happens in that uh, episode, um, Sarai is uh, seized and taken away from her husband. Um, this is a, seems to be a story where women are uh, free for all. It even reminds us of the state before the flood, um, before the flood, where it says, um, And Rashi says, what does it mean, that uh, the people who were the authorities, were the rulers of the land, would simply seize married women and take them for their own sexual devices. Um, it would appear that... Uh, this is the atmosphere of Mitzrayim, which uh, take advantage uh, of the sexual weakness of, of the women who come into their borders. How about uh, Canaan? Well, uh, we read later on in Vayikra, very, very clearly, 
that uh, Canaan is an environment uh, which is uh, it's actually twinned there with Mitzrayim um, of, of exceptionally low and corrupt sexual standards. Again, Vayikra Perek Yudchet do not act like the acts of Egypt nor the acts of Canaan and uh, what are these acts? there is a list of all sorts of adultery incest uh, perverse sexual acts and uh, we're told there you Israelites do not do these things do not become impure through these Devious acts, deviant acts, I should say. Because it is through this that all the nations who were here before you and who I am dispossessing from the land of Canaan, um, they gave themselves impurity through these acts, and they created impurity in the land. In other words, Canaan and Mitzrayim are uh, engaged in sexually immoral actions and that is the way they are depicted through the Torah and these cause them to um, lose their right to the land of Canaan and this is especially interesting um, because if you look at what's happening in in the Torah essentially the Torah is a book of the Jewish people what I mean is in a, in, in a couple of chapters we're going to meet Avraham Avinu and from now on the whole focus of the Torah turns to the, the, the Jewish people we start with Avram Yitzhak Yaakov, that's Sefer Bereshit, and then of course Mitzrayim and Yitziat Mitzrayim, and the building of a Jewish society and the giving of the Torah. The whole of the Torah essentially deals with the history of Am Yisrael. However, the first 10 or 11 chapters deal with the prehistory. They deal with the state of the world prior to Am Yisrael. And uh, what are we informed in this area? We're informed of the sins of man, starting with, uh, you know, Gan Eden and Cain and Hevel and uh, the generation of flood, and, and this story. And this story tells us about Canaan, and of course, Canaan means something in the story of Am Yisrael. It, it, it's fascinating that uh, in Perakud, our very next chapter, we actually get an outline, uh, Pasukutet, Perakud Pasukutet, an outline of the borders of Canaan. It is the only territory which is charted out in these chapters. In other words, the Torah is fully aware that Canaan is our destination. And uh, when we recall the Brit Bain Tarim, chapter 15 of Breshit, um, Avraham is promised the land of Canaan. And what is he told there? You cannot have the land now. Why? Because the inhabitants of the land have not yet filled their quota of sinning. But they are sinners and they will eventually sin enough that they will lose their rights to the land. The perspective here uh, from uh, our chapter onwards is one, and, and maybe what, I, what I'm claiming is that this story in a sense is less about uh, Noah and more about uh, Chavah's descendants, particularly Canaan and Mitzrayim. Um, and we're saying here that from the very outset, um, these are morally compromised, sexually indulgent people um, who, who, who have no moral standing. In fact, uh, the, the sense here is that Cham 
is actually engaging in some sort of action which is reminiscent of the, the pre-flood world of Atishachet Aretz Milifnei Elohim. Chazal talk about people who were engaging, uh, the, the, sorry, that even the animals were engaging in deviant uh, sexual activities, mating outside their kinds. Here we see, uh, if it's true, that Cham is engaging in a sexual act with Noah, uh, he too is engaging in an unnatural sexual act, a, a, a sort of cultural uh, standard which, it, which is reflective of, of the pre-flood world. Um, Cham is not worthy. He's, he, he, in this sense, he wouldn't be worthy of surviving the flood. Um, he, he, he represents the pre-flood uh, evil, um, which was, was, was we, we te- God attempted to eradicate. And, uh, and now we understand why he also uh, forfeits his right to Eretz Canaan. And maybe this story is coming less to tell us about Noah, but more actually as a prelude to understand more about the land of Canaan and the people who inhabited it in the early period before Amisrael uh, go to the land. So that would be a different perspective, certainly, on understanding the story according to that option. Um, the last possibility that I'd like to uh, raise is the, is the possibility that Sarah saw, that uh, Ham castrated Noach, and, and again, what exactly uh, does, this, does this mean? Um, the how, 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 first of all, I maybe, maybe should raise the question of uh, castration of Noach in the sense that Noach doesn't have any further children uh, in this story. And this is particularly um, a problem because God says time after time in the story of Noach, Puru Uravu, he's told this at least three times. Um, as he comes out of the Teva, uh, and he says later on in be fruitful and multiply and again in however it would appear that Noach never has any further children um, this is underscored even further when we remember an, an, an amazing um observation by Chazal that when Noach goes in the Teva God tells him to go in it's in Perak Zion, Pasuk Zion uh, there's a very specific formulation of how he goes into the Teva by Avon Noach Uvanav the men and then his wife and the door and, and the wives of his sons to the Teva why are the men separated from the women in their entrance to the Teva. Rashi there says, um, The men were separated from the women, they had separate uh, sleeping arrangements. Why? They were not allowed to procreate. The world was in a state of distress and destruction, and it was inappropriate that they should engage in uh, sexual um, uh, activity. Um, however, when they come out of the Teva, uh, God changes the language. Uh, what does God say in Parakhet? You and your wife. In other words, uh, go out of the ark, and now is the time to procreate. However, does Noach respond in, in kind? No. Uh, in the very next verse, Vayetzei Noach uvanav. Noach and his sons. In other words, Noach stays with his sons and his wives with and his wife with their wives. 
uh, there's no interest in having children here. There's no interest in fulfilling, fulfilling pruravu um, at all. Um, and this is uh, somewhat distressing. God says pruravu, fill the world, populate the world, and uh, Noah seems to be uninterested in in, in creating the next uh, generation. Um, the again a fascinating uh, parallel that we can make between our story and another story in Tanakh is the story of um, on the one hand the story of Noach and Ham paralleled with the story of Lot and Lot's daughters if you recall Lot also suffers a calamity, a destruction of everything around him and Lot assumes that theirs is the last family on the face of the world, in the case of Noach they really are but Lot assumes that he is the only the only survivor, him and his daughters, and his daughters get him drunk, and uh, they sleep with him, and what emerges is the Ammon and Moab, the next generation, um, and this distressing story of incest that we hear with Lot um, certainly, uh, again, relates to the dangers of wine, and uh, is obviously an immoral story, and yet um, the sense in that story is there's a, a sense of desperation because they're the last people on earth, and yet a distinct desire um, to procreate, a distinct desire to create the next generation. Uh, what do they say here? Avinu zakein ve'ish ein ba'aretz lavo'aleinu k'derach kol ha'aretz. What are we going to do? How are we going to have uh, children? Of course, if we engage in this uh, explanation of the sexual intimacy or the castration of Noach, um, the sense is that there is no interest whatsoever in producing the next generation and I think Chazal's comment about castration is exactly this idea that there is no interest in any way of, of having, having a further generation and, and, and what, what then is happening here what exactly is, uh, is the story here the Arbarbanel makes a fascinating comment as to why uh, Noach turns to drunkenness in this story. And he says, um, well, first of all, he talks about how Noach uh, descended from his Sadiq status already, by the way, Chazal and Bereshit Rabbah say that Noach had been called at the beginning of the parasha Ish Sadiq, and now he's called an Ish Adama. Uh, they contrast him with Moshe, who begins his career as an Ish Mitzri, an Egyptian man, and ends up as, with the epithet Ish Elokim, with the title that he is the man of God. Noach seems to go in the opposite direction. He starts off as Ish Sadiq, the righteous man, and now he has, his definitive uh, definition is Ishadama. He is down rock bottom on the earth, and he says Beziknuto uh, says that Barbanel. He becomes an Ishadama chomri materialistic v'nirudaf He is uh, engaged in his desire, um, and he says, uh, Why does he turn to the bottle? Why does he get drunk? He says, Ka'asher katz bechayav mabul. He gave up on life after the flood, after the des- destruction and desolation of the He only wanted to drink wine. He couldn't stand the sight of water. He didn't want to see water ever again. Uh, he'd had it with water, the water which destroyed his world. He didn't want to drink water, he only wanted to drink wine. Um, we, 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 uh, uh, th- this image then is one in which we see that Noah uh, simply gives up on life. Noah cannot face, and maybe we've come back 
um, not to the image of Gan Eden, where maybe he is uh, trying to reach a pristine world or a perfect pristine state of innocence, but rather something far worse. The sense that, uh, as we read in Yeshayahu, that uh, Noach is scarred by the futility of life. Um, he feels that there is no no purpose. There is no purpose in creating another generation. That why bring children into such an ugly world? Why bring children into a world which is so evil? Um, and then this is a story where both Ham um, and Noach both express um, the fact that they don't want to go on, that they cannot, um, they cannot go on. Um, I think the Torah's answer to this is very, very clear. Um, the minute Noach expresses these sentiments, we say, and he died. In other words, we're not interested in his future after this, because this is not the way. And of course, Perak Yud, which follows this Perak, is a, a Perak which bursts forth with progeny. Uh, we see the birth of the 70 nations, and clearly this is an answer to the fact Noach might be refusing to create a world, but his children will. His children will be uh, will bring the advent of 70 nations, the multiplicity of cultures, um, the filling of the world, uh, spreading out through its different nations, through its different islands. Um, the world cannot end with Noah. The world has to continue. This is God's desire, um, and uh, it is not His desire um, through the flood that the flood be the end of the end of the world, but actually be uh, its beginning. Uh, thank you very much, and Shabbat Shalom.